It's great to be here. Just been up in Bradley Stoke celebrating uh, what God has done there. Great to, I don't know whether you mentioned the uh, street life, uh, now officially been adopted by this church. Uh, so I, you, probably, you probably thought that happened a long ago, but behind the scenes there's all the kind of paperwork, making sure we've got the right insurances and all the rest of it. So thank you, uh, John Cooper and everyone else who's worked so hard to make sure that's happened. That has now happened. Street life is now part of this church. What a joy to serve uh, some of the most disadvantaged in the city in that way. Let's turn, please, to Samuel chapter 17. We're going to continue our study in uh, looking at King David, or David as a younger man at the, at the moment in the story. Uh, whilst you're turning there, um, just to say that uh, Woody, one of the elders, and myself are off this Thursday to Mozambique to visit Daryl and Joy, and Chris and Annalee, and the families uh, out there in uh, Nampula. So exciting to see what they're doing, also to look after them a bit pastorally, and also, I think, for us to say, what is it that we could do? What could we as a church, how could we uh, take part in some of those projects to train people in farming methods that are much more efficient? Uh, also, some of that business enterprise as well. So there's room for entrepreneurs, there's room for people uh, who teach, there's all kinds of things happening, and we're going to blog that as we go, send some photos back and some videos to help you know how to pray. Uh, please do pray for us, pray for our families, pray for Cheryl and Camilla and the children as we're all away, particularly uh, Paul and Camilla's family, they're much younger, their children, and it'd be great to, uh, yeah, for God to support them and for you to support them whilst we're gone. So that's what we're doing uh, in, uh, this week, so I won't be here next week. I'll be in, uh, or God willing, I'll be in Mozambique. So hello, nine o'clock from Mozambique. There you go. If you work that out, they'll be seeing it next week. That's where we'll be. I know it's complicated this time of the morning, but that's how it works. Okay, 1 Samuel 17, we're looking now at uh, David in Saul's armor. So if you remember what's happened up to this point is Goliath has issued his challenge to the, uh, the army of Israel. And on one side of the valley, we have uh, the Philistines, and the other side of the valley, we have uh, the Israel army. And every day, uh, Goliath comes out and issues his challenge, who will come and fight me? And of course, no one up to this point has been willing to do that. Now, David's arrived in the camp. David wasn't a soldier. David, in fact, was a grocery boy at this point. So he's bringing food for his brothers. And so his brothers uh, are all soldiers and he's bringing them some groceries. And as he is bringing them the groceries, he hears Goliath's challenge to God's people, God's army, and he's incensed by it. And so he says, well, I'll, f I'll fight this guy. And uh, as he does that, his brothers ridicule him. There's quite a, a little battle there, really, of kind of the older brothers looking down on him, saying, "Who are you, are you mocking us? How, what do you think's gonna happen with this huge giant? Uh, but he's determined, and eventually news gets back to King Saul. King Saul, in his tent, hears about David's kind of challenge or acceptance of the challenge, and in they come to a meeting with Saul where they're going to sort out how it's going to go. This is what happened uh, around that moment. Uh, so David has heard the challenge of Goliath. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. That's Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he's but a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant will you, uh, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard. Who knew that bears had beards? But there you go. 
by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord has delivered me from the port of the lion and from the port of the bear, and he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David in his own armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and had clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped a sword over this armor and he tried to go in vain for he had not tested them. David said to Saul, I can't go in these for I have not tested them. So David put them off and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. With a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. We don't quite get to the moment this week. But someone else will get to preach that in the weeks to come. Well, I think we kind of know what happens, but, uh, but we've got to deal with this bit first. This is an important moment uh, as we approach this battle, and we need to see what's going on between David and Saul. And again, the contrast between Saul, this head and shoulders rock star king, and David, whose heart is full of love. For God, David is a worshiper, David is a passionate leader. We're going to see some of those things today. But what we see first off is that David is a believer. David believes. We are, brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus, you're a believer. That means you believe things. I mean, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? But that means that that belief informs your actions, at least it's supposed to. That belief shapes who you are. That's what believers do. Believers believe, and that belief makes them do things. And David's right here in this moment is being shaped by the fact that he's a believer. Now, you might turn to me and say, well, that's not me. You know, well, I'm a bit more measured. I'm a bit cautious. I'm a bit skeptical. I'm not this David. I'm not like this David character. And, well, maybe that's true. Maybe that's true of you. That might well be true of you. Maybe you're not a believer at all here. But there's something for you a bit later. But actually... What we need to do is work our way through this story and find where did David find the strength to do what he's about to do? Was it just, well, you know, it's just his type? There are some people who are a bit more like that than others. Well, that's partly true, I'm sure, but actually there's something in this story that we will understand something of David's belief and the source of it. He's proving that he's a believer in the conversation with Saul. And actually, he's, he's proving, too, that he loves God's people. He says, no one should be scared. Don't, no one should be afraid because of this Philistine. It's like, have you seen him? Everyone should be afraid. In fact, everyone is afraid. David's seeing things slightly differently than everyone else. He is applying faith, belief to this moment. But lest we walk away and decide that's not really for us, let's look at it and see what we can find. He's first concerned with God's people and he's willing to do something to comfort those people. It's easy to see problems. Anyone can see problems. I, 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 was, I was going to say any idiot can see problems, but I'm not, I'm not going to say that. But you could say that anyone can see, anyone can see problems. It's, it's not hard to see that there are difficulties. You think about work, your work context. Think about being in the office, or maybe for me as I was, when I was a primary school teacher, I remember being in the, in the staff room. And sometimes a conversation could be quite caustic, because we could all see the problems. Everyone knows there's issues with every system and every organization. We know there are problems. And we can point them out and we can sit back as sometimes happened in my, in my context. It's like sometimes you'd sit back and say, oh, yeah, if only this would happen. If only the management team would do it like this. If only they saw it in this way, it all would be well. But it takes someone uh, of leadership quality 
to say, no, I'm going to do something about this. And occasionally as I sat in my staff room drinking tea, uh, do you know what, I don't really drink tea, and I tried for years to convince the teachers, I don't, just give me coffee, but every day, cup of tea, cup of tea. So guess what, I drank tea. That's the way it is. If you're a teacher, cup of tea, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. It's how, it's how, the, day, it's how the, the day go, isn't it? Tea between, that's how Ben does it, anyway. Between, between tea. Occasionally, the standout moment in that staff room context, or maybe for you too, is when someone said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's with me. I'm going to deal with that problem. I'm going to make it my problem. Rather than the management, they're all incompetent idiots. And then we just walk away, sniping from the sidelines. In this context, David sees a real issue and says, it's with me. That problem, that's my problem. I'm making this problem my problem. Do you know what that, we should put that in the marriage vows, shouldn't we? It's like, I'm making you my problem for the rest of our life. No, I'm serious, we probably should. That's definitely what Cheryl did when she agreed to marry me. She's like, that's why you pray in the wedding vows too. Lord, help me as I make this man my problem for the rest of our lives. But that's kind of what it's like. That's what love demands of us. And as David sees what this Philistine's chanting, what this Philistine's kind of declarations each day are doing to God's people, he says, no, it can't carry on. I'm making this my problem. I'm making it my issue. He sees a giant issue that's threatening God's people, and he doesn't assume that's with somebody else. He says, that's my problem. Do you know what? That's leadership right there. That's right there, that's leadership. That problem, that's my problem. That's with me. I, that, you can let that rest on my shoulders. I will shoulder that for you. I'm going to make sure that gets done. And that's what David is proving right here. He's proving something about what's in his heart. He's proving that belief, that moment of faith. Can you imagine the workplaces of Bristol infused with that kind of attitude? That problem, that's mine. I'm, that's with me. I'm going to deal with that. Can you imagine, imagine the church? Can you imagine a city for that matter? A city where we looked at the issue of the city. We didn't think, well, well thank goodness we pay our, our taxes because somebody else is going to have to deal with that. Well, I hope the agencies are going to do that. No, that problem, that's my problem. That's what David is doing right here. Something of God's heart in that. Actually, you see that right through Scripture. You see that kind of call, who's going to do this? Who's going to carry this message of God to people? Who's going to do it? We see it way back in Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet. And as God is calling him, God makes this appeal in Isaiah 6. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us, says God. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me, here I am. That's the faith-filled response of someone who's beginning to know something about God. Yeah, I don't know it all, but I know this, I'll I'll follow you. I'll follow you, I'll do it, I'll go. I'll be the one who goes. And God commissions Isaiah, God commissions David, and God commissions us as we look out at the challenges of a church, the challenges of a city challenges of a workplace and say it's with me it's with me and what's Saul what's the hapless Saul doing at this stage he's just in his tent isn't he he's back and forth with his faith he's blown about by the opinions of people his own sense of self-preservation is overcoming the need to go and deal with the giant and what's Saul's sage advice to David at this point he's saying oh you're a small boy and that's a big giant soldier, uh, it's not going to go very well. David's like, 
yeah, of course. But that isn't going to stop someone whose heart is full of desire to see God's glory. And so much apart from the sharp insights of Saul in that moment, David could have said, oh, forget it. I, made, I offered to help, but Saul, you know, just, he just offered me his own armor. And maybe as Saul's doing that, he's thinking, well, I'm concerned for self-preservation. Maybe David is too. Let's do the best we can, dress him up in this armor, see what happens. Of course, it doesn't fit. He's not used to it. It's not going to work. But rather than walking away, he continues to pursue this desire to go and fight the giant. It was great. Um, in our Connect group this week, our channel and I are leading a group with our leadership kind of development group. It's great just chatting with a young couple. I won't embarrass you by saying who you were. But both of them were saying, I think we can bring something of God's goodness, something of the grace of God into the context where we're working. One was saying, I think I can make this a, a happier place. I can bring some kindness into, uh, into, the, into my job and describing how he thought he could do that. And the other one was saying, do you know what? I, I think I could bring something of God's wisdom. I think I have been able to bring something of God's wisdom to solve a complicated relational problem. And that's, that's what's happening here too. Those are smaller issues than David faced, but actually that's an example of what we're talking about here. You have God's spirit with you. God says, I'll give you wisdom if you ask for it. God says, you are the fragrance of Christ where you are. And if you're willing to say, that problem, that's my problem. Rather than skulking in the tent by the sidelines or sniping away at the management, you can say, actually, I'm going to bring some of that wisdom right now to this situation. And you will be sought and you will be light. And it will change the context you're in to the glory of God. Let's be like that. So Saul's not helping. The giant is still shouting. And David doesn't shrug his shoulders and walk away saying, I've tried. I think I might do that. I tried. Nobody helped me. So I'm off. I'm done. But that's not what happens here. So where does David find the solution? Well, we read it again. The second half of the passage that I read earlier, 1 Samuel 17, 34. He draws on his life in God, and he does it like this. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered, uh, delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he's defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So is David just bragging about stuff he's done? Just like, yeah, yeah, I've killed lions and bears. I'm that kind of guy. I don't think that's what's happening. That's not the sense of what David is doing. I think what he's doing is, is sensible. He's saying, listen, I, I think that time where I, where I won a victory, I think that time will be like this time. I think what happened then is going to happen again now. And actually, that's kind of common to all of us. You don't need faith for that particularly. That's a good way to live, to draw on the experiences of the past and project them forward into the future and think, well, because I overcame those things, I can now believe I can overcome these things. That's a good way to live. That's how lots of people live, and that's right and proper. But David's doing more than that. Because what he's doing, he is framing the past events and the challenges and battles, and how is he framing them? He's framing them in the goodness and the power of God. He's saying, I believe God was involved in those moments. 
I believe that God was leading me and helping me and strengthening me and teaching me in those moments. And now I'm facing this moment, I believe he'll be with me too. Have you ever had a, a picture that you needed framing? And, and until you get the right frame, the picture doesn't really pop. And, the, and you're like, well, it's not quite right. And you find that, oh, now I see it. It's like the picture's not complete until it's framed properly. And that's what's happening here. David is framing his history. Because he could have framed it in another way. He could have said this. He could have said, that wretched family of mine left me alone in the fields with lions and bears. That's what they did. My, they just abandoned me to the fields. And do you know what happens when you're on your own with sheep? The bears come. That's what happened to me. He could have framed it like that. He could have, that that's how he could have assessed his own history. He said, that's what happened to me. Or he could have said, every time I try and do something good, I just get attacked by lions. That's what happens to me. It's just lions and lions all the way. Beards or no beards. <laughs> or he could have said, I only just got out alive when a bear came to attack me. I only just got away with my life when the bear came. That's all, I, that's all that happened to me. That's all that that was about. He could have framed it like that, but he doesn't frame it like that. He applies God's goodness and God's grace and God's power, and he frames his history like that. And it strengthens him for the future. Now listen, we need to do that. We need to do that. Some of you need to do that right now. Right now, you need to think, yeah, there's some, I've fought some battles. I've faced some serious issues. And we don't, I don't want to belittle them at all. But you do need to frame them in the light of God's goodness. And that's part of how God redeems some of these moments. He starts to make what was bad, and he starts to work in it. And he works in our thinking about it, and he works in our assessment of it. And he can work it for his glory, just as he's doing here with David. He can do it with you right now. Actually, I'd like to pray for us just right now. Let's just shut our eyes for a moment. Father, as we just recall some of the things that we faced, and we just think about our own histories for a moment, we pray, Spirit of God, come and just recall some of these events to us. Lord, we know they're painful, so we pray just help us in this moment. Father, I pray that you'd help us just to begin a journey of reframing, of framing the challenges of the past, not in the light of themselves, not shaped by fear, not shaped in any other way than in the light of your goodness and grace. I pray, put a frame around them in that way, and I pray that they will be redeemed for your glory and for your goodness and for our benefit and for your children and for your church, and for those yet to know you into the future. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prayed, some of you would be thinking of dreadful, terrible things. And look, that's, that's not done when we just pray in a moment. We have a, a fantastic pastoral care team that can help you pray more about things that concern you, things that pop up into your mind and things that start to dominate your thinking. If you'd like to get prayer, then you can come and talk to someone at the end. You can chat to Ben. Um, you, you can chat to Jason or anyone else, maybe someone at the welcome team. We can put you in touch with those people who will spend time talking those things through, praying them through with you so that you can begin to redeem something of the past for God's goodness and God's glory. Back to the story. <laughs> So Saul, it seems, is full of self-preservation. And David 
is full of a passion for God's glory. He is concerned that God would be glorified. Saul, on a number of occasions, has demonstrated that he's willing to just abandon his duty to be king. And he's very, in his heart, it seems to be self-preservation. I want to look after myself, my reputation at times. He was very concerned with what he looked like in the eyes of others. And David, he looks on the situation differently, and he sees a giant that needs to come down. And although Saul is so concerned with self-preservation, David is literally just willing to risk his life to bring God glory. He's willing to put it all on the line. He knows, he's not stupid, David. He knows this is a giant. He knows he's putting his life on the line. He knows that not wearing armor is probably not a smart move, even though it's, not, even though it's more comfortable not to. It's not like he, he doesn't know the outcome yet. It's faith. He believes, but he doesn't know. He's not absolutely, you know, there's a risk, a huge risk in this moment. He is laying down himself for his countrymen, for those soldiers who are terrified, paralyzed on the hill. They can't move. They're terrified. They don't know what to do. And he says, I'll put my life on the line for the sake of others. That's what I'll do. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be if a man gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? You see, it was there in David. It was there in Jesus' words. And it, of course, was there in Jesus' life as well. And this is the difference between Saul and David Saul concerned with what everyone else thought, saving his own king. David passionate for God's glory, even though it's going to come at an incredible cost. And it would get more costly as David's life carried on. David is demonstrating that he's the true king because he adopted this kingly attitude of laying down himself for others. This godly attitude of giving or being willing to lay his life down so that others could be free. There were five stones. Why five stones? Have you ever thought that? Why were there five stones? He only used one. I mean, did he know he was that good a shot? Maybe he did. Well, we read this in 2 Samuel 21. We read there were four other famous giants. And some theologians will tell us that's why he picked five stones. Such as his passion and faith, he says they're all coming down. They're all coming down. I'm taking them all down. They're standing in the way of God's purposes and God's people. They're all coming down full of faith, full of kingly, self-sacrificing faith. David, of course, is the foreshadow of another warrior, passionate for God's people and God's glory. Jesus is the true and better David, as theologians tell us to think about him. He's the foreshadow. Normally the sun throws a shadow forward, but in the Bible the shadow gets thrown backwards through Scripture. A lot of the characters we find something of a foretelling of Jesus. So if you know something about David, you're going to know something about Jesus. And that was kind of the point of this nation that had the story of David deep in their heart and the story of other leaders like Moses and Gideon deep in their hearts and in their understanding and on their lips so that when Jesus come, they, they might, might recognize him. They might know who he was when he arrived. And David was engaged with releasing people from the Philistine threat 
And he had to take down Goliath to reach his end. And Jesus had to face down an enemy, the enemy behind all the enemies, so that we would be free. Jesus takes down death itself. Goliath is promising death and destruction on Israel. But death and destruction are the thing that's going to bring the terror ultimately. As we approach Easter soon, let's turn our hearts and minds to that story and just read these few verses from Luke 23. The other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also uh, came up and mocked him and offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals also hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are being punished justly, for we're getting what our sins deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In Jesus' day, they were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for a David. They were looking for a champion warrior to rescue them. And that's what the Messiah was. The Messiah was going to be in David's line. And that didn't just mean that he was going to be kind of, you know, ancestrally related to David. No, it was going to be like David. They were looking for that warrior king. So it was no surprise when there he is hanging, it seems, in his last moments, they would say, why isn't he fighting? He's supposed to be like David who took down Goliath. Why isn't he fighting? Why won't he fight? Will he fight? Is he going to come down? And we could think the same. As we observe the cross, we can think, why? It seems like defeat. Why isn't he fighting? And when we realize what he's doing, we realize, my friends, he's fighting. He's fighting to take down sin and take down death forever. He's finishing the enemy behind all the enemies. He's putting a stone in its forehead, it's collapsing, and he's taking its head off, like David's about to do. And he does it, why? Because he loves you, and he loves me. He wants to rescue you. That paralysis of the people on the hill of the, of the Israel army, that's us. We can be paralyzed with fear. I don't know where to turn. I have no idea how to be rescued out of this life. And Jesus says, I'll take the enemy down and suddenly you can be released like that army was released. Suddenly the paralyzing fear is gone and you can follow him with all your heart and you can start taking down enemies of your own, be part of that victorious battle. He's done it for you. And you might say to me, well, I don't understand it. Well, that's okay, but trust a man who would take on death for you. Follow him with all your heart. That's what's happening on our Alpha courses. As people are beginning to see something of what it means to follow Jesus, something of what it means to, to follow this warrior king, that in the moment of what others might think is his greatest defeat, actually is the supreme victory above all other victories. He's conquering death itself. He's fighting, to f he's fighting there on the cross to free us from the tyranny of sin, from the cruel reign that it will have over you, and that the, the kind of haunting fear of death over us. And he's saying, I'm taking it down so you don't have to 
be paralyzed with that kind of fear ever again. You know, a few months ago, we watched my mum die, and uh, it was terrible to watch. But she loved Jesus, and she wanted to follow him. And even as the tears poured down our faces, we realized she was, she's not coming back. But also in the midst of it, we realized, but death has been conquered. The enemy that she passes through now is an enemy that's been conquered by her champion and your champion, if you'll follow him if you'll give yourself to him and say, all you have to say is, Look, I want you, Jesus. I want this for me. I want to follow you. That a cry of the heart to God is what it takes. And then God floods it and starts to help you to believe, to leave sin behind. The Bible says, if you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's a promise of the Bible. Just believe. Follow him. Talk to someone about it. As we mentioned before, as Goliath fell, the Israel, Israel army is freed from their paralysis and they pour down into the valley and chase after the enemy. And that's what God does for us too. He frees us from our paralysis. Frees us what? To do our own thing? No, to serve him. To serve his people. To be like David was in that context. Saying, you know what? These problems... These problems, are, these problems are coming down. And I'm going to be part of the answer. I'm going to be part of doing that. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for your glorious victory through Jesus on the cross. And Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you faced down the final enemy, the enemy behind all the enemies, death itself, and sin that kind of binds us to death. And we thank you so much for conquering both, absorbing in yourself all of the hell and death that goes with those things. Thank you that you didn't fight and come down off the cross in that external sense, but you absorbed it all into yourself so that we could go free. And I pray for many right now, I pray that they would be released from that paralysis that comes from looking at an enemy and thinking That's, that can't be defeated. Lord Jesus, as you've demonstrated, you've taken the head of the final enemy and now our paralysis is gone and we can be free. And I pray we would enjoy that freedom and revel in it. We'd, we'd love it. I pray our lives would be as a kind of an overflow of thankfulness as we think about the victory that you've won for us. I pray for those, Lord, who are pondering some of the challenges of the past, the serious things they've faced, things done to them, things they've done. I pray, Lord Jesus, would you please... Help them reframe them in the light of your goodness and grace. To give them strength and power to face enemies on behalf of others into the future. And I pray you do that for your glory. Amen.